Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terra in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for spending part of your day with us here on what is to be a fantastic podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books, Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters. Some people say to me, where's the terror, Bill? Well, I don't know, but if you're standing face-to-face with one, you'll probably be shaking in your boots, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> There's the terror. That's terror for you. That's terror. <laughs> and by the way, all of these books are available at Amazon and at Audible. One through six are available in audio format. So please, jump on the bandwagon. And buy one or two or three or all of these books and hand them out to your friends. Stand on a street corner (laughs) and proclaim Bigfoot. Extra, extra, (laughs) Bigfoot here, Bigfoot here. (laughs) I guarantee you'll get some attention. No doubt. Uh, Kev, I want to invite you right in. This is my brother, Kevin, my co-host. Yeah, sorry for barging in, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) It's irresistible. Uh, Kev, as we begin today... I have something really interesting that I uncovered. Now, you know, I'm always uh, talking up the people that I interview and uh, listeners that chime in with us and whatnot as being uh, the cream of the crop when it comes to investigations and gathering information. And I tell you, I was on the phone with a fellow the other day for, I don't even keep track of the time. I want to say I was on the phone for an hour and a half with this guy. Hmm. And he originally, he had contacted me about uh, a couple of uh, evidential findings and a sighting that a family member of his had had. So as the conversation rolls around, uh, this guy is a military man. He still is. He's a lifer. And uh, as the conversation took various twists and turns, I started saying to him that you can't tell me that the military is unaware of the presence of these creatures With all of the Black Hawk helicopter operations going on, uh, no doubt night recon practices in the woods and in the mountains. And so we start talking about the various branches of the services. And, of course, each branch of the service has its own special forces unit. Uh, most people are familiar with the Navy SEALs, and, uh, you know, we could just go on and on about that, which I will not. 
but in his branch of the service, they have their own special forces. And they have a survival training uh, unit or area uh, in Washington, hmm. state of Washington. So during this conversation, he goes on to tell me that uh, some of his cronies uh, in the service, you know, know of his interest in Bigfoot. And uh, although I may twist it the wrong way as I'm speaking about it, because it's not important how exactly it happened, but that it happened at some type of meeting or in some way, shape or form, one of these special forces guys uh, gets a hold of him. And knowing his interest in Bigfoot, says to him, I got something I think you're going to find really interesting. So, of course, my ears perked up. And the interesting was this. This dude hands him a map. And the map is a map that is used for survival or survival training in the Pacific Northwest region of the country. Mm-hmm. And now I've seen this map. He's actually going to make me a copy of it uh, and send it over to me. But I've seen it. He sent photographs of it to me. And, uh, of course, on the computer, I can get a good zoom on it and whatnot. So on this map, which is extremely detailed, elevations, forestation, uh, little uh Highlights here and there on how to use your watch for night navigation. They're basically reminders to the students, uh, the survival students, on how and what to do. And in the corners of the map or around some of the outer borders of the map, there are little pictures, very nicely detailed color pictures of edible plants, poisonous plants regionally. And a variety of different animals that are in the region, uh, some of which the American porcupine, uh, the cougar, uh, black bear, uh, a variety of different animals that one would see in the woods there or possibly could take down for a meal. Well, my friends and my brother Kevin, Guess what else was pictured (laughs) as being an animal in the Pacific Northwest? Mm. Was it our friend Squatchy? It was indeed Squatchmo. (laughs) A nice depiction of a nasty-looking Sasquatch leaning against a rock, smiling with his fangs protruding. Super cool. Yeah, so I said to him, and he said to me, why would this be on there? Certainly, there is no... Now, I know, Kev, when you went to Alaska, uh, you found that little pamphlet, that kind of tongue-in-cheek or jokingly... Yeah, the wild, wildlife bingo card. <laughs> wildlife bingo card, okay. <laughs> that showed the Sasquatch pretty much like tongue-in-cheek, right? Yeah. I shouldn't say bingo. It was more like a scavenger hunt. Uh, Scavenger hunt. (laughs) (laughs) And here on this uh, official map, 
uh, is this Sasquatch. Now, I tell you right now, you cannot tell me, nor will I listen to you, if you say that on a military map something was placed there as a joke uh, for the GIs to get a couple of yucks out of. It's not happening. It's yeah, not, not, not. Especially on survival training. You know, survival training is pretty serious stuff. There's no doubt about it. It's life or death. Yeah. And uh, this thing was there, obviously. And think about the meetings overlooking this map on like an overhead projector or whatever they would use. Right. When everybody's sitting there in the room and this thing goes up, you know, uh, six by six or eight by ten on a wall or something. And they're all looking at it. And then the laser pointer hits the squatch. And the conversation begins to talk about that. I mean, this is a reality. This this is really going on at some point in time, somewhere in some room. There is discussion being had uh, amongst some of our finest uh, soldiers about this creature possibly being uh, run across in this area in a survival mode. Yeah, no doubt about it. That is freaky deaky. Hmm. So I can't wait to get a copy of this map uh, for myself. And you could see this map was not made up. Uh, it was well creased. Uh, looked to me. I didn't ask him. I'm sorry to say with all the talking we did. It looked like it may have been made out of like a, a vinyl or some type of uh, fabric. Cer certainly not paper. Right. And uh, I, I had said to him, I knew that in World War II, uh, the aviators, I know at least the aviators, carried uh, regional maps uh, that were made on silk. And the right, silk like could, a scarf. They'd wear it as a scarf, right? Could be. I don't even yeah. know about that. But it it wasn't subject to degradation like paper if you fell into water or got muddy or snow. And uh, hopefully you could get out of where you were or at least have an idea of where you were when you fell to the ground and were now trying to make a plan to get back to friendly lines, you know? Absolutely. So that's pretty freaking crazy, man, and I can't wait to have a little uh, continuum uh, on uh, on this subject matter. I think it's fantastic. Now, you, you didn't say what branch he was in. I'm guessing the Air Force? Uh, it was the Air Force. Yeah. Yeah, I, think I wasn't going to say it, but uh, uh, I did a little research after I spoke to him, and they have a, a survival unit uh, training area up there in Washington. Yeah, when I lived up there, that's how I knew they did it up there. That was my educated guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wonder if some other branches also use their unit. Uh, for training when they're up there. You know, they probably cross-train a little bit, no? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Especially yeah. if they're doing a mission together, you know, at times, right? If yeah. they're planning on a mission that they're going to do together. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, I don't think there's anything to hide about this. It's just a feather in the cap of the reality uh, of the existence of this creature, irregardless of what others say. Uh this is a factor. I mean, and, and as we spoke many times, you've got to inform your people uh, of the possibility of running into this thing. 
No doubt. And, you know, it's like a mountain lion. You have to tell your troops that these things could be creeping up on you and looking to jump you and bite you in the neck. You can't send them out there not knowing that these things are a reality. Yeah, no doubt about it. That's so, super cool. I never heard that before, but haven't talked to anybody about it, you know, in that branch of the service either. So pretty cool. I got to try and uh, dig something like that up. Let's see see what we can find out there in the uh, public realm. Yeah. Now, I did a little uh, snooping after the fact, and I'm telling you, man, I couldn't find a mention of the map. Ah. So now that's not saying I didn't do a lot, but I did do some. And uh, I was able to come across uh, 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 military survival training booklets yep. uh, that no doubt came from uh, GIs and uh, maybe they had a couple and decided to put it up for sale or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I was not able to come across a map. Uh, and even those maps uh, that I spoke about, the silk maps from World War II, uh, they are not easy to come by. You have to think how many possibly could have been made yeah, and well, and what happened to them, you know? Yeah, it's probably just a great souvenir. Yeah, you know. exactly. And uh, so that was really interesting, and that is to be continued, no doubt. Very cool. I like it. Yeah. So what do you got today, bro? Uh, we're going back to the land of creepy, Bill. We're going to talk about the Enfield poltergeist. Ah, yes. I love poltergeists. <laughs> as, as long as they're not in my house. I was going to say, how much do you love a poltergeist? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Lay it on me, brother. Yeah. So this story goes back to August 1977. Uh, and it took place in a place called Enfield, which is kind of a northern suburb of London, England. So over in the UK. Uh-huh. And um, at this time, there was a single parent named Peggy Hodgson, and she called the police to come to her rented home in Enfield, claiming that she witnessed furniture moving and that two of her four children uh, said that there was knocking sounds heard on the walls while they were in the rooms. Mm. Pretty cool. Never a good way to start your night. No, not at all. <laughs> so, uh, you know, she was a single mom, which, you know, it's uh, not as typical, I think, today, back in 1977. And she was a mother of four children, so probably a pretty serious lady, you know, taking care of uh, two girls, 11 and 12, and then two boys that were 10 and 7 years old. Wow. So she calls the police, and a police constable comes to the house there in Enfield, and she says that she saw a chair wobble and slide across the room, but uh, could not figure out in any way, you know, there's a lot of details where she talks about looking for wires and stuff like that, couldn't find any reason to... Uh, for, for, the, for the chair to slide across the room and wobble like that. And she actually signed an affidavit, you know, as an on-duty police officer, that this really happened. Wow. Yeah. Pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, no, it's it, it, the whole poltergeist phenomena is like real. I mean, picture yourself being there and this stuff going on. Mm. You know, well, we, we talk about it, but 
If you're in a room and furniture starts moving around, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't care how brave you think you are or whatever, it's going to get your attention in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, these accounts took place over a period of 18 months, okay, a year and a half, and more than 30 people, including neighbors, uh, psychic researchers, uh, newspaper reporters, said that they all saw heavy furniture moving of its own accord, objects being thrown across the room, and uh, some people saw the two daughters seeming to uh, levitate several feet off the ground. Wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, Bobby, like hold me down. How do you like them apples? <laughs> I'm flying <laughs> way up high in the sky. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty darn creepy. So, so uh, a, a reporter named Zoe Brennan uh, wrote about this in uh, the Daily Mail going back uh, uh, years. And it's pretty interesting. I'm going to quote some of the stuff and reference some of the stuff from this article in a UK paper called the Daily Mail. And this part, it gets really creepy. So, you know, she writes that the rasping male voice sent the chill through the room. Hauntingly, it delivered a message from beyond the grave, describing in graphic detail their moment of death. And this is how it goes. Just before I died, I went blind. And then I had a hemorrhage and I fell asleep and died in the chair in the corner downstairs. And uh, apparently there's audio tapes of this voice. And they figured out later on that it's uh, purportedly the voice of a gentleman named Bill Wilkins. And um, Bill Wilkins, the, this recording was made of the voice uh, several years after this gentleman, Bill Wilkins, passed away. Wow. But the really, really creepy part of this, Bill, this voice they're hearing is coming from the 11-year-old girl, Janet Hodson. Oh. <laughs> oh. Now, this guy wasn't W.J. Wilkinson, was he? <laughs> Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> Nor was he K.J. Wilkinson. K.J. Wilkinson. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. Can you imagine this little girl just standing there and suddenly her mouth turns into an O shape and you hear, dude, I got chills telling you this. And I've read this like 50 times by now. Unbelievable. Just saying it out loud gave me chills. So what would this little girl just go into like this catatonic state and this, uh, uh yeah, apparently she'd go into these trances and she wouldn't remember the trances. And um, this gentleman would speak through her body. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Boy, so, there is nothing creepier than that. No. You know, so it's like they, they talk about the fact that, of course, this levitation of humans, the furniture being moved around, sliding across the floor and at times moving through the air, um, flying objects in the room. You know, heading towards the witnesses, cold breezes out of nowhere inside the house, mm. uh, you know, water appearing on the floor, and even, they said, matches spontaneously bursting into flame. 
Yeah, you know, and the occasional cigarette being lit in midair in the room and somebody <laughs> blowing smoke rings with it. <laughs> yeah. Kev, do you re- <laughs> do you remember the end of Avid and Costello yeah. meets Frankenstein? Yes. When they were in the boat in the lake and the cigarette lights up and they're like, whoa. And, and they says, think they're all done. <laughs> right, right. And he says, hi, I'm the Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, so what else happened here so, in Enfield? So pretty creepy. Like, you know, if it's not enough to have the levitation and stuff like that, this, these words um, are just uh, too much. You know, I just, yeah, I can't, can't believe it. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's hard to believe that uh, uh, so many witnesses also uh, had seen it. You know, purportedly neighbors, police, of course, the mother, uh, the other kids, and on an ongoing basis. You know, it's very bizarre. Yeah. Speaking of the neighbors, so you know, in the one uh, description where um, the mother, Mrs. Hodson, was talking about when this first happened. You know, basically, she gets called upstairs to the daughter's room, um, talking about these noises and the stuff moving. And she's like, you know, again, she's a single mom of four, probably working full time, trying to support the kids, you know, in London, uh, doing a commute or whatever. And she's like, hey, quit screwing around, you know, get some rest and go to bed. Right. Like we would all say. Uh-huh. Um, and then all of a sudden she sees the chest of drawers move across the room. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So she goes next door to, uh, uh, the next door neighbor. Their names are Vic and Peggy Nottingham. And apparently Vic is this big burly guy, a builder. And, um, he, he comes over, agrees to come over to investigate. He's probably thinking, geez, I got to get to bed and get to work in the morning. And he says, and I quote, I went in there and I couldn't make out these noises. There was a knocking on the wall in the bedroom and on the ceiling. I was beginning to get a bit frightened. And then he says, I don't know what to do. I've never seen, uh, I've never felt scared this way about something mysterious. And he says, at that time, a large armchair moved unassisted four feet across the floor. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Vic, nice to meet you. Yeah. So I guess he ran out the door and there was a shape of him (laughs) in the the door. Didn't even bother opening it. Of course, I'm kidding. Yeah, that's when you hear those fast drum beats like in the cartoon. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, so this thing, again, 18 months went on and uh, the BBC went into the house And uh, the crew was doing recordings and stuff like that. And then they found out that the metal components in their tape equipment had been twisted around and that the recordings had been erased after the fact. So kind of creepy, right? Super creepy. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Well, you know. You know, this thing just has ability to just be completely invasive. Yeah. Of people, machinery, devices, the house. Yep. And then then a couple of uh, researchers, you know, supernatural researchers went there and they talk about the fact that when they first got there, nothing happened for a while. And then they saw Lego pieces flying across the room, 
marbles and they said what was extraordinary was when you picked up a marble or a piece of lego they were extremely hot to the touch Ooh, that's interesting yeah how's that for creepy yeah you know i think i don't know if i ever mentioned it to you uh uh i had an old friend uh i used to fish with uh his uh grandparents had uh some type of old estate. I, I think it was used as a hotel at one time or something. Upstate New York. And just out of the blue. You know how I'm always saying when you start conversations with people, you never know where it's going to lead, which is why I do these things. Yeah. And this was another example. Like uh, Tom, my neighbor, the cop, telling me about his UFO experience. We were talking about spooks and ghosts or something and tom says yeah my grandparents had this place up in uh whatever by the adirondacks and uh real old joint big high ceilings huge doors you know this was like a presidential palace up there the way he described it and they used to regularly have stuff flying around the house chinaware things smashing flying across the rooms breaking i mean that's freaking crazy yeah, yeah. So then right. they uh, they go on, right, and investigate, hey, what happened to this house? You know, right? It's still there, of course. Um, uh, Peggy Hodgson has passed away. Uh, the kids, of course, are grown up and not living there. Um, and uh, they talk to this woman, Claire uh, Bennett. Uh, she moved in with her four sons. And she said, um, at first I didn't see anything, but I definitely felt uncomfortable. You know, there was some kind of presence in the house. I always felt like someone was watching me. And she said that her sons would wake up in the middle of the night hearing people talking downstairs when, in fact, nobody was downstairs. And then she found out, Claire found out about the house's history. So apparently she didn't know that when she bought the house. And she said, suddenly it all made sense, and they moved out in just two months. You yeah. know, this it doesn't seem right to me that I, – I don't know where the end would be and what I'm about to say, but it doesn't seem right to me that you could just off uh, a dwelling like this to some other unsuspecting person, and that's okay. Yeah, I don't know about the UK, but I don't think you could do it today in the US. You know, like when you sell a house, they have that disclosure document. And, uh, I, you know, it doesn't say anything about poltergeist that I recall on it. But it does have uh, kind of anything unusual, you know, blah, 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 you know, so that you do have to disclose. Like if this stuff was going on and you had to move, I would think you should disclose it. Yeah. You know, or you so, I mean, this it. house. Uh, in Enfield, I don't know what the end of this thing should be, but it, it, it shouldn't be able to be shuffled around uh, uh, to different no. people yeah. unawares of what's going on there. I mean, maybe it should just be a place where people can go and visit and see if they experience something. Yeah. Well, we'll get if to you... that in a minute. But so this woman, Claire Bennett, they moved out and one of her sons, his name is Shaka. He said, the night before we moved out, I woke up and saw a man come into the room. I ran into Mum's room and said, we've got to move. And we did in the coming days. So, so getting to your point of where are we today, or at least when this article was written, the house was occupied by another family who did not wish to be identified. 
And the mother says simply, I've got children. They don't know about it, and I don't want to scare them. Mm. So maybe she got a deal on the place. You know, Poltergeist House going, going cheap. Cheap. <laughs> but, you know, getting to your point of just a place you can visit, I have heard, you know, you know the story of the uh, Amityville Horror up there and Long Island. I have heard that they actually changed the address of that house um, to a different address because so many people were, you know, they'd see the movie, they'd read the book, and then they would drive by the house to see it. And apparently right. people live in it today. Yeah, I imagine there's a line of cars in the neighborhood parking over there, taking pictures, maybe even trying to walk around. You know, exactly, it's kind of... and probably taking pictures like, hey, let me get out, and I'll stand out in front of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know. And, of course, if you live there, not exactly what you want going on in your neighborhood. No, no, you, especially if you're not having any experiences like it, you'd rather just forget about the whole thing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you were uh, if you were field stripping a deer that you hunted illegally next door, you don't really want people pulling up in your neighbor's house <laughs> taking pictures. You know what I mean? Are you saying that happens in animals? Well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking out of the box. You okay. know? Okay, just checking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, the creepy uh, Enfield poltergeist, and I should mention too, there's. There's uh, a lot of people that have seen this. And then, of course, there's folks that say a lot of it, some of it, or all of it was a hoax as well. But it seems like uh, a lot of people really saw this stuff happen back in uh, 1977. Sure seemed wow. real. That is freaking creepy, man. The Enfield poltergeist. Exactly. Oh, my goodness, man. Well, you know what my opinion about all this stuff is, you know. Just the fact that this thing is there freaking people out, scaring children, this and that. This is not uh, uh, This is not some heavenly or celestial being, you know what I mean? No, and, you know, it could be this guy caught, you know, between uh, two places for some reason, you know, and doing some uh, evil haunting. <laughs> oh. oh. Wow, that was excellent, Kev. Certainly fits into the other oddities yeah. Yeah. Uh, category. Yep. And uh, I've got something really interesting here today for you and the listeners. Uh, everything is interesting as far as I'm concerned when it comes to Bigfoot. But there's no end to what people do and how they run into the Bigfoot creature. And this certainly uh, follows in suit with uh, what I just said. Uh, this following sighting was told to me by Melvin Stahl. Of all things, a ginsanger, ginsanger, G-I-N-S-E-N-G-E-R, from the hill country of Appalachia. And this is what Melvin saw. Now, the interesting thing is this ginsenger thing, as you're going to find out from uh, Mel Melvin here, there were people actually out there gathering root uh, roots. Oh, so it's ginseng, like the, the herb. I, I, Thank I, you. I was lost. I was like, what the heck is a ginsenger? Exactly. So he collects ginseng. And the name of people who do what he does is a ginsenger. Ah. 
like a blues singer, but he's a gin singer. <laughs> I thought at so, first he sings after he has a lot of gin to drink. <laughs> yeah. So here it is. So without getting too deep into what exactly ginseng is and isn't, it is a root plant that is very aromatic, which is used in a variety of forms for homeopathic medicinal purposes. Some make tea from it, and others dry it and grind it into powder. The sale of this ginseng can be quite profitable in these parts, and there are cash buyers waiting for what I bring in. This is what Melvin is saying. Yeah. The nature of the business is somewhat nefarious in that I am not always hunting for ginseng on properties where I should be, if you catch my drift. There are many other guys, just like me, who are hunting for the same product, and many of them in the same places that I am. There are regularly threats being thrown around, and the occasional drawn gun is not uncommon either. Men have had their trucks burned to the ground and bricks thrown through their windows by those who feel threatened by their presence. Now that I have welcomed you into my happy place, let me set the stage for you as to what happened to me and exactly what I saw. Without giving anything away as far as information goes, I was in one of my usual haunts in the Appalachian foothills, on the hunt for some ginseng. I had been on the hunt for the entire afternoon and my bag was full. I was actually having a really good day and had gathered in several hundred dollars worth of product. I was on my way back to the truck and still had a good 40-minute walk ahead of me before the sunset. I was approaching a hollow, which I had come through earlier in the day when I heard some animal-type noises coming from the direction of the hollow. For you people who don't know what a hollow is, this is the depression or downward slope created by two adjacent hills, and in these parts we call it a hollow. My first thought at the time was that the noise was a sow and her cub, which immediately sent a warning shiver down my spine. I was unarmed, and a mother bear is nothing to be trifled with in the woods alone. I was slowly approaching the rim of this hollow, and the noise was getting louder and louder. At this point in the woods, it was already getting quite dark, with the sun about to set fully in some 30 minutes. I was approaching the edge and looking through the shadows, trying to see exactly where the bear was. The noise was, in my opinion, emanating directly out of the hollow, but I could see nothing. Suddenly, from the other side of the hollow, came walking into view one large booger and one smaller one. They took several steps toward my position and then bent down and started digging. The large booger was watching as the little one was scratching like a crazed hound dog on the ground. I couldn't believe my eyes. I actually thought that they were digging for ginseng, just like me. 
I know these woods like the back of my hand, and I also know everything that grows on the forest floor. Unless there was some type of burrowing animal or bugs of some kind, I have no other explanation as to what they were digging for. I was quickly running out of time, and to get clear of the woods before darkness fell, I had to leave without further delay. I slowly backed out of my position and circumvented the hill to my right, hoping that they would not eventually choose the same route that I had. About 20 minutes later, having walked at a very brisk pace, I was clear of the woods and back at my truck. One of the most amazing things about these two boogers when I saw them was their color. They were both a blondish red, and their fur pattern was almost identical, being quite long and shaggy looking. When they were heading at me, they were already in a very dark and shadowy location. I could see nothing, virtually nothing, of their facial features during these few steps. It seemed to me that at that moment, the larger one directed the little one to start digging in a certain spot. I only say this because its arm moved as if to say, over there. And then the little one fell to its knees and started scratching at the ground. It looked just like a dog digging for a bone, with both hands going as fast as it could. From the moment until I left, from that moment until I left, I was looking at the back of the big booger and the side of the little one. My position was such that they were about 150 feet away from me and some 70 feet or better below me. The large one seemed to be at least eight feet tall, and the smaller booger may be four feet tall and built as solid as a rock. I'm sure that the little one could make mincemeat of any human being. If he was four feet tall, he was three feet wide, and he looked like a little brick of muscles. For whatever it's worth, and to whomever, that is my story. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that, Kev? That's pretty cool. Now, now, where did he say he was, or did he say where he was? Yeah, he's uh, in Tennessee, living in Appalachia, the oh, foothills. Appalachia. Yeah. So Probably. I don't. Have you seen the show? There's like a show I've seen, not recently, but on like Discovery Channel or something, where these guys are hunting for. I think they're hunting for ginseng, like, and they're definitely trespassing on properties, you know, and digging it up and selling it. So. Well, you know, it's an oddball, obviously an oddball kind of business that your average American is not familiar with at all. Right. I mean, you know. Now, this is in like moonshine and country. You know, there's not not much of a way to make a living in a lot of these really rural places out there. So it's kind of this is one of the ways somebody figured out like, hey, you know, people want these herbs and roots. I can I can go find these and sell them. Right, especially if you're a woodsman. Exactly. And you know what you're looking at, you know? Especially if you're out there, tended to the still anyway, and waiting for it to cook. <laughs> waiting for your mash to cook, Might down, as well brother. go do a little picking. That's what I'm talking about. Bring a little jaw with you and have at it. <laughs> that is pretty you know, cool. Again, we run into the uh, boogers. 
Yeah, that name the booger, you a know. Big one and a little one. Yeah, a little booger. <laughs> it's like a, it's it's like a little piece of snot hanging out of your right <laughs> oh, nostril. No. You know what I'm saying? You got your big booger you got to dig for. <laughs> then you got your little booger just hanging out there. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just flicking at your neighbor. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, though. Very cool. Ah, man. <laughs> yeah, the booger and the ginsenger, you know. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because I'm just thinking about that survival map and the uh, edible plants and poisonous plants. Uh, you know, a guy regionally who really knows his stuff, uh, like Melvin, he said he said right in that account that I know everything that grows on the forest floor in here. So these people handed down generationally from father, grandpappy, you know, whoever it is, they're spending their life out there stomping around the woods and fishing creeks and uh, doing a little uh, lowland hunting and whatnot, they are well familiar with everything in their environment, which also harkens back to my own saying that the Bigfoot creatures are also well familiar generationally with what is in their environment. Oh, no doubt about it. And, of course, they're so stealthy. Um, they're more likely more familiar with the humans in the environment than the humans are in uh, the Bigfoot in the environment. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's more ludicrous to think that they wouldn't be than to think that they would. Right. Uh, you know, they just, they have trails that they follow, no doubt. They have locations that they know well. Uh, who knows their, uh, their sense of smell may, may be like that of a, I don't know, a, a, a bear or an elk or something. They could really sniff stuff out, you know, and know. Uh, possibly they could even smell uh, ginseng root through the dirt when they're coming up on it. You know, yeah. they're that sensitive. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just guessing, but it, it just stands to reason to me. Yeah, no. I, I look at the, I look at the squirrels in my own yard. You know, they run around and they you see them with their nose down on the ground, and then they start clawing at an area and they come up with an old acorn from last year. Oh yeah. You know, so it's it's, it's just uh, the the animal kingdom obviously is gifted with abilities that we as humans don't have. You know. Well, like I've told you, my Labrador Retriever, she her nose works. Yeah, we were planting her favorite food yesterday: tomatoes. You know she's ready. We've shared some of the stories about her uh -huh. growing tomatoes, harvesting tomatoes, hiding them so they could ripen. It's an exciting <laughs> day for her. Very exciting because she knows what's coming down oh, the she road. Does. She smells the plants themselves because you know tomato plants really do smell a lot differently. Yeah, when, when you're planting them, you're like, whoa, these really pungent, strong. Yeah, strong pungent smell. Yeah, and like, uh, you know, Paula plants all of these herbs in pots on the deck because she uses yep. a lot of herbs cooking. Yep. And uh, I think I told you that I've been using that uh, organic spray for uh, tick and uh, mosquito control. Yep. And the, uh, the, the oils in that spray are from, uh, let me think now, wintergreen, rosemary... And time. Mm. And the interesting thing is, some of the potted plants like the uh, parsley, 
uh, are subject to certain kind of bugs attacking them when they're in the pot. She watches them all the time, you know, looking yeah. for things eating them. Yeah. But these other plants, like the rosemary uh, and the thyme, nothing touches them. They're like a natural repellent to insects. And interesting that they use this, you know, uh, in this organic uh, spray. But which gets back to the fact that, you know, perhaps these Bigfoot uh, can smell that ginseng. Sure. Uh, now, I've never really sniffed ginseng. I would imagine it's got some type of uh, strong odor. Maybe I'll try to get my hands on some one day and give it a whiff, you yeah, know? no idea. I don't know either. Yeah, but I bet you it's got some, uh, you know, it's like when you smell these different teas, the chamomile. Oh, yeah, yeah. The black tea, the green tea. They all have a different scent to them, you know? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. I mean, I remember when I was first talking to somebody about a holler, you know, because they call it a holler, like I'm hollering at you. Yeah. But I said to him, man, you got to tell me, what the heck is a holler? <laughs> You know, because I and I had I suspected a holler was like a ravine. And that's basically what it is. It's the low area between, like Melvin said, two opposing hills and uh, a ravine or like a, a little valley. But uh, in English speaking, I'm just not sure what the correct term is to use and when. Like it's a valley between two gigantic mountains and a holler's. Between two little hills, I don't know. Well, and we're not going to tell you until you move down here, right? That's that's right. And don't be taking my ginseng. Twenty-something years ago, when we came down here to visit to look at some houses and stuff from Washington State, we went to the hotel. I probably told you this, Bill, and it was like midnight. Kids were tiny back then, and um, I went to check in first to just to make sure they had a room. The kids were sleeping in the rental car. and um, the guy at the desk said, you got any young'uns with you? And I was like, excuse me? And he said, young'uns, how many? And I was like, I'm sorry, I can hear you, but I don't know what you're saying. I'm, I'm really sorry. And he said, young'uns, how many young'uns? And I was like, man, I have no idea what you're saying, buddy. And uh, he said, young'uns, little ones, children, how many? <laughs> I was like, oh, two young'uns. So I went out, went out to the car and told my bride, in case anybody asks you, you got two young'uns. <laughs> True story. I had no idea what he was saying, and now I even say young'uns 20-something years later. Well, let me tell you something, Kev. You are a real Johnny Red. <laughs> By the way, we don't like those jokes about that war down here. I understand. <laughs> now, let me just jump back to uh, my military guy that I was speaking to the other day. Uh, I won't get into all of what he said because 90 minutes we probably spent on the phone. Yeah. But his family had a number of uh, sightings and or encounters and evidential findings. His uncle, while his father was sleeping in the back seat of the car... His uncle and his uh, his aunt were driving, I believe it was in uh, Colorado, and three Bigfoot walked across the street, causing her to slam on the brake. Wow. He spit, he spit his coffee or whatever onto the windshield, 
uh, as these three critters walked across the street in front of him. And when his father got up, he was like, what happened? He missed the whole thing. <laughs> uh, then this fella, who again is an avid outdoorsman, I mean, uh, the level of detail of which he spoke just of the areas he was in, identifying different locations and uh, streams and creeks and this and that. You can just tell the guy is steeped in this uh, culture of being a hunter and a woodsman. Sure. Uh, he had heard some howls camping with the children. Uh, and uh, he told me he spent the night with his rifle on his chest in the tent. Uh, just mind-blowing. And then on a couple of other occasions... His daughter, uh, awaking one morning while camping, asked him if there were any other people camping around them. Uh, and she saw this, quote, man walking down in a certain area near their tent. And he said there was nobody mm. uh, around them or where they were. Mm. Uh, and then on a couple of other occasions, he came across tracks uh, while hunting. Again, uh, true to form, as I have said in the past, who would lay a track down in the middle of nowhere uh, looking to dupe somebody who's probably not going to be there? In other words, you're not going to set a trap for a human when you have no yeah, idea. I mean, the odds that someone would ever come across it was very slim. Like slim and none and yeah. slim just left. Exactly. You know, it's just ridiculous. And he had come across uh, some on different occasions uh, going in a linear pattern, uh, one in front of the other. He had extensive knowledge of, uh, of bear tracks. We were talking about what bear tracks look like and what they don't look like, uh, how they could be misconstrued by somebody who really doesn't know. Uh, and it was really interesting uh, to talk to this fellow. And again, this is one of our listeners. So you all listeners, if you're out there, uh, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit our contact button. Uh, get a hold of me. I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, we'd like to know what you're seeing and or experiencing out there, and we'd like to share it with the rest of the audience. So, Yeah, great example, Bill, of how the community makes the podcast stronger, better, and more interesting. And uh, yeah. So like Bill said, BigfootTerryInTheWoods.com, contact us, send us an email, we'll get back to you, we'll call you, etc. So speaking of mail, Bill, we got some good listener mail this week. Okay, man, lay so it on me. This one comes in from Antonio in Guatemala. Holy smoke. Yeah, Antonio says, I'm thoroughly enjoying this podcast. Are there any reports of Bigfoot in Central America or South America, I must say that in my 43 years of living that I have heard nothing of this creature in this region, regards Antonio. So what do you think, Bill? I know you know of some beasts down there. Well, you know, I really don't know. I mean, I've heard tale in uh, uh, southern Mexico uh, which we were talking about yeah. a while ago. Uh, there are some claims of some strange goings on over there, but we have nothing hardcore as far as reports. 
you know, I, maybe we should investigate that area and see what we could drum up, you know? Yeah, Central America, they got a lot of uh, cryptids down there, reports of cryptids like Bigfoot. And then we did an episode on uh, Map and Glory down in Brazil in the uh, Amazon. And there's a lot right. of accounts on the, on the Map and Glory. Remember that beast is like a giant Bigfoot, but a lot of folks think it has like a single eye in the middle of its forehead, like a cyclops. And then most interestingly, it has that second large mouth where its stomach is. That's the super creepy map and glory uh, cryptid. You know, uh, what I have heard of uh, down in that neck is the, uh, the Bruja. You know what the Bruja is? No, Bruja. The witch. Oh, I should know that. Bruja. Yeah, they... (laughs) They have this flying witch that people claim to see periodically. It's a really weird looking. And, you know, we talk about people having phones now and getting pictures. There have been pictures taken of this. And, of course, people would say, ah, it's a cluster of balloons that got away. It's this, that. But I, I've seen some footage of this Bruja, and uh, I don't know, man. It doesn't look like a cluster of balloons to me. What I'm looking at, I don't know, but it's freaking weird. Any talk as to whether Bruja is a good witch or a bad witch? I don't know. When you're black and flying through the sky, I don't think there's anything good about you. <laughs> you know? You're like, this, yeah, yeah, you're like the stealth Bruja, and you're not stealthy for any other reason than to creep people out. By the way, sorry, witches. I did not mean to offend any of you out there. I'm, I'm very serious. All right, Bill, from Cliff in Idaho, a bit of a hotbed. Uh, Uh He says, in listening to your recent podcast, I went back to hear the howl recording and was blown away. Whatever made that sound was very large and would be more than likely capable of doing whatever it wanted to do to anyone or anything. How anyone would desire to be in close quarters with that is beyond any form of rational thinking, in my opinion. Great show. (laughs) I'm hooked. Cliff. Wow. Yeah, good stuff. (laughs) I agree with you, Cliff. That sound, when you hear it, it's like a freight train sound. And, of course, some of these accounts that we talk about with Bigfoot are like a freight train ripping through a camp or ripping through a vehicle, etc. So... You're right. I yeah, mean, I, if you're feeling brave, you listen to a howl, especially if you heard that howl while you're standing out miles from civilization in the forest, you'd be thinking twice, no matter what kind of ammo you're packing. Yeah, and you know, uh, this what he says harkens back to what I've said a hundred times, that how anybody could think that they're going to go marching around in the woods and come in close contact with with this thing. If that howl happened next to you, it might strip your clothes from the body and leave you standing naked <laughs> on the trail. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, I mean that is that is a mind blowing, voluminous blast. Yeah, and not, uh, not a happy blast either. No, no. I mean, it would just knock you down. I agree. Uh, I don't know about you, Kip. Something like that happens next to me. I'm not waiting to see it. No. I got legs, and I'm going. Yeah, I'm moving. <laughs> High gear. Moving on Another out. Other way. All <laughs> right. And our last letter comes in from Anita in Uzbekistan. Oh, boy. Yeah. She says, I had distant relatives who lived in the Ural region of Russia. 
There is another creature you may want to investigate as well as the Menk. It is known as the Almasti. Possibly they are the same as each other, but worth looking into. Love you both, Anita. Yeah, I have read about the Almasti. It's a similar creature to the Yeti or the Mank. You know. Uh, and this is also in Russia? Yeah, out in uh, you know, Siberia. Um, I think I read about them in Mongolia as well. So Well, certainly uh, Anita will be looking into the all nasty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? The Almasti? Almasti, M A S T I. All right, maybe we should rename it the All Nasty. Yeah, I was going to say the Nasty <laughs> Al Masty. Yeah, Nasty Al Masty. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I like that. Cool. cool. Well, <laughs> well, Bill, that was a great episode. Thanks, folks, for tuning in and listening. Thanks for your great reviews. And speaking of reviews, please, while you're listening here, open up your favorite podcast player and give us five stars. It's really important that you do that because it brings more listeners to the podcast and if we get more listeners, we are able to continuously improve the quality of the podcast as well. So thank you, and please take action and give us five stars. Excellent, excellent. I really enjoyed that, you know, Kevin. Uh, it was nice to take a little detour into this uh, poltergeist. Uh, all of this stuff is grist for the mill, you know, and that is creepy as all get out, man. This freaking thing talking through the little girl and the clock uh, pounding on the walls. Yeah, and, right? and it's uh, pretty cool how they like this gentleman, right, talking through her. And then they find out after the fact that he actually died there in the house a few years earlier. So they didn't know yeah. that. Very yeah, freaking so. weird. By the well, way, they anyway. made a movie about this called The Conjuring. A Hollywood movie, you know, not a documentary. So, I I don't I never saw The Conjuring. I'm not so big on uh, the the pure evil movies. Um, but uh, you know, if some of you are out there and you say this sounds familiar, I think I saw a movie about it. They did make a movie called The Conjuring. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not into that scene at all. You'd never find me in a movie theater watching that stuff. So, <laughs> uh, but interesting though, that movie was made about that Enfield poltergeist. That's what they huh? say. That they say. Wow. And of course, they probably took a lot of liberties, oh, yeah. As, yeah. as do uh, movie makers. Yeah, you I know? mean, not a documentary or anything like that. <laughs> All righty then. Well, folks, as is always the case, may I remind you if you find yourself traipsing through the Idaho woods or digging for some ginseng in the Appalachian foothills. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. <laughs> <laughs>